Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. Welcome to Stories or Soul Food. We are here to talk about food for souls. Yep. Slash stories. Specifically today, I wanted to ask you the question, do you call your books Christian fiction? Mm. And of course, that's a loaded question, but- I'm not a Christian rapper. I'm a rapper who's Christian. Right. And see, (laughs) that's why every time I hear someone doing that little move, it makes me want to say, yes, of course. Cannonball Books is a Christian publisher. But as soon as we say that, it comes along with a number of baggages that I wondered if you felt that way when people ask, you know, do you write Christian fiction? Mm, yes and no. So, of course, you know, yeah. ab- absolutely. At the same time, I do understand what people are rebelling against and they're rebelling against the label of Christian as uh, a market tag. Yeah. So, it's not a, a question of, are you apostate or are you not apostate? It's, do you identify as part of this market Right. Like, are you specific to this market? Are you in this particular niche? Are you in this ghetto? Do you belong on this shelf? Yeah, because if I said, are you a Christian author? The answer would be... Well, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And my books are all coherent and consistent creations from that point yeah. of view, from my Christian authorship. So, yeah, uh, I write Christian books. But no, I do not also. Uh <laughs> Yes, there's an either or fallacy is kind of latent in there. You're one or the other. That's yeah, doesn't make sense. But there's also just an equivocation on the word, and the word is being used in two different ways. One meaning, are these good? Are they true, good, and beautiful? Are they consistent with scripture and the gospel? Yeah, they are. Do you hold yourself up to the standards, the objective standards of truth found in scripture when you're writing your books? Yes, I do. Are my books coherent and consistent with that? Yes, they are. But are they sold exclusively in Christian bookstores? Are they printed, are they published by Christian houses? No, they're not. Yeah. Are they marketed as uh, food for the choir? No, they are not. And so, when people say Christian books or Christian publishing, they, they tend to mean a book you know, written by a Christian author for a Christian audience talking about Christian themes specifically or including the gospel specifically. So, I have written books that are that way. You know, I have written books that are specifically for Christians, Notes from the Tilted World, Death by Living, mm-hmm. talking about Christianity. So, yeah, they're Christian books in that I'm trying to be a good Christian in my writing of them, but they're also Christian in that they are targeted at that audience, at that marketplace. So, mm-hmm. in those two senses, those books are Christian books, but for Ashdown Burials or 100 Cupboards or Lee Pike Ridge or any of these other things, are there Christian themes? Yes. <laughs> does the writing, does the plot, does it all come from my Christian perspective? Yes. Yeah. Will you find Christian typology? Yes. Outlaws of Time, are there messianic themes? Yep. Are there characters named explicitly after the disciples? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's, yeah. yeah, there are. But would a secular kid notice it? No. Again, Christian right. kids don't even. Right. It's So, I'm trying to that's the soul food piece. I'm trying to make stuff that's wholesome and edifying and, and enriching. Right. So, it's reader. almost a bigger question. Would God like your stories? Yeah. You know, which sounds 
like such a proud thing to say, but really sure. does seem what an yeah. artist needs to ask. That's the goal. I hope so. And the other thing would be, do your books honor God? And you'd say, I hope so. I hope they do. I try, right. I'm trying to. Yeah. So with all my books, I'm trying to honor God. That would be the most significant challenge. If, if yeah. someone said, hey, I don't think your books honor God, <laughs> that would be something that you would have an opinion on. Yeah, yeah. I would be upset. But... Uh, either because they were right or because they're wrong and falsely slandering me. I would just be upset. <laughs> right. But when people say Christian book, Christian album, Christian anything, what they yeah. mean is an explicit expression of Christianity for Christians, by Christians, for Christians. Right. And that's not what I'm doing. And as you know, it's a podcast about kids' stories. There are huge Christian publishers, you know, Zondervan and Thomas Nelson, but their kids' imprints don't do anything. You know, why is that? Why is it the secular, why is it that secular publishers are the ones who get to tell stories to kids? Yeah. Well, it's. Because I mean, I was looking at Thomas Nelson and their top hits for kids are Dude Perfect 101 Trick Shots, you know, that you can do. <laughs> you know, that's what's popping up as their Christian stories or, or Zondervan is, is nonstop Jesus Storybook Bible. Yeah. Sally Lloyd-Jones. Yep. To the moon and back. Yep. To me, when we're looking at the distinction, do we look for Christian fiction? If I were going to go try to find a book for my kid, I mean, no way. I, I, in that sense, in the market right. genre, that's not the pool that I would swim in to try to find something for my kids to read. And that, uh, in one sense, made me a little upset. But then in another one, it, it's consistent. We're not in that genre. Yeah, it's not even a genre. It's a market. Yeah, sorry. Market. You know, but I mean, I, my grandfather ran Christian bookstores. My dad worked in Christian bookstores. I remember being taken into Christian bookstores and being taken to the fiction section. Yeah. And being told, pick something out. And, you know, my grandfather ran a good, a good Christian bookstore, so there was good stuff over there, which meant there was C.S. Lewis right. and the Sugar Creek Gang. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there wasn't, there wasn't much else. And there was a ton of missionary biographies. Right. And Jungle Book. There's some Jungle Book. Right. So, I mean, there's fun stuff, but it was seen as like, there has to be an explicit moral. There has to be, you know, there has to be a Sunday school, has to be Sunday schoolable. Mm. And overwhelmingly, think of it this way, what, are my novels Christian curriculum? Like, no, yeah, they're not curriculum. That's that, not what they yeah. are. They're meals for imaginations. They Are they meals for imaginations that honor God? I sure hope so. That's the goal. But I don't exist in that marketplace. I really don't exist in the quote unquote Christian marketplace. Was there a time when you decided, no, I'm not going to try to exist in that marketplace? Or is it just, what, what goes into that decision for an author? Let's pull back the curtain a little bit, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the only things I've heard, I've heard a couple things back about this podcast since we've launched. I haven't been paying close attention, but a few people have reached out directly and I've heard that people want us to still want us to talk about VeggieTales. They still, they want to have an entire season on like Harry Potter, you know, us discussing all the Christian themes and so on and whether or not it's great. So, you know, picking a bone there. And then they also really want to hear more scuttlebutt about behind the scenes of the publishing industry. So you're scratching which, one of the three. Which itches. I thought, okay, that was the, we talked about that. I don't remember in which episode, but. Yeah, uh, outlaws, you're out, or sorry, not outlaws, 100 cupboards episode. Yeah. So we talked about that a little bit there and I've heard repeatedly from people who are like, do more and do, <laughs> do more there. So this just came up naturally in my aspiring author brain. I sort of assumed the publishing world was like baseball, where I thought I want to be a professional author. I want to make a living as an author. So I should probably play in the minor leagues. You know, I should probably, you know, start small and work my way up. And 
So I tried. And the way I tried was that I pitched a bunch of work to Christian publishers. And they were incoherent, didn't understand what they were doing, what they were for, or what made a Christian book. Hmm. The same thing exists now when people struggle over what is a faith film. Right. Like, what is, what is a Christian film? What is a faith film? Or what is a quote-unquote faith-adjacent film? You know, things is like that, that. Is that something they talk about now? Yeah, well, yeah. Faith-adjacent. Uh, Does that mean it doesn't irritate people who, of faith? No, I think, it, I think it's, <laughs> it's a faith film without a direct gospel presentation. Oh, um, okay. That's, that's oversimplification, but still. So I thought, I'm going to pitch to Christian publishers. I'm actually going to even pitch to small Christian publishers. I'm like medium small. I'm going to try to go play some minor league ball, work on my craft, yeah. hopefully build a readership, and then try Get to- Get that 10-day contract. Wait, or is that NBA? Whatever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I then try to work my way up to the major leagues. And so I was working on cupboards and early pitches of cupboards went out. 100 cupboards went to Christian publishers. So Did you, did you do Christian agents first or did you go straight to publishers? I had a Christian book? agent. Yeah, there's a Christian agent, and and actually, even there, it was I went to Christian publishers, then went to a Christian agent, went to some more Christian publishers, then fired the Christian agent. You know, it's like it was this whole saga. But I was ofer when it came to Christian publishers. Okay, I got rejected by all of them. Minor leagues wasn't playing. Oh yeah, they were not interested, and they were overwhelmingly not interested because this is not Christian fiction. Is what I was being told. Okay, it's like, but is Narnia? Yep, because we know that's a, there's a long established tradition of Christians loving the Narnia Chronicles, so it's safe. Yeah, so yeah, of course, of course, that's Christian, and we would love to publish something like Narnia, and that we'd have these dialogues. We would love to publish something like that, and so I was like, okay, so this is kind of American Narnia with one with one hundred covers. Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing how you could have. I mean, it's very like all the food things you've explained that go right. into making Narnia. Yeah. Seem like they go into 100 covers. No, they, they do. Now, admittedly, the first book of Narnia, the Narnia Chronicles has an ex explicit right. crucifixion scene. Has an explicit, and resurrection, yeah. Yeah, it has an explicit Easter, explicit passion. So, I was not there. But the rest of the Narnia Chronicles, uh, I'm more lined up with, you know, in terms of, you know, a lot, a lot more similarities there. So, anyway, I got a lot of no's. I got rejected by every single one of them. Uh, and I was, oh, man, that's kind of, kind of a bummer. And I had an accidental situation where a rough draft that I had not read got sent out to a bunch of publishers in New York and I hadn't read through it yet. Oh wait, you typed it up and not read it? I had, but yeah. Had, so, I got an email. Okay. I got an email and it was saying, hey, what are you working on? And I said, oh, I actually just finished this rough draft. I'm, you know, here, check it out. And it got circulated. Oh. Just went out to like, <laughs> it went out to like, so I, I made the mis mistake of attaching it to an email and then it went out. It's like 10 publishing houses, some big number of New York houses. And I was like, ah, trash, you know? <laughs> and I already had pitched, I'd already pitched, we'd already approached all these Christians who'd already passed on it. So the minor leagues all said, you don't got what it takes. And I was still thinking of it that way. I wasn't thinking of it in terms of different markets fundamentally. I was thinking, I am a Christian. I am trying to honor God with my fiction. My, you know, even nepotistically, like, approaching publishers that my dad had worked with and been very successful with in the Christian space and thinking like, surely you'll give me a shot, right? You know, my dad sold a lot of books for you. Yeah. Nope. You know, just nope, nothing. But then my rough draft went out around New York and we started getting really long, nice rejection letters. And it was really, it was kind of funny, like non-rejection letters. So three page letters back about what they liked and what they'd love to see. And would you be willing to break it in two? 
would you be willing to do it as a trilogy? Would you be willing, like, would you be willing to cut it all down into a single volume that's you know half this length? Penguin, Random House, they weren't combined at the time. You know, just a lot of people. The editor of the Harry Potter series being one of them at Scholastic. So we heard lots of complimentary nice stuff. I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed that this had gone out there, especially with some of the things they pointed out where just like, oh, <laughs> this hurts. This hurts my pride. But I was also kind of astounded. Like, so why is it that these big houses are interested and my own people are not? Like, what, what is it? And so I bypassed the quote unquote Christian marketplace and wrote up proposals for these different publishers. And then they got the different story there, but they got swapped so like random house received the wrong proposal they received the proposal for penguin and you know vice versa and stuff like that happened so it was, it was a it was a whole nightmare it was, the embarrassment continued okay um and so that's when i parted ways with uh my agent at the time after that last confusion shoelaces tied together <laughs> yeah, yeah. in multiple ways and talked to aaron wrench you know whom i'd known for a while and knew that he could be a good literary agent and said you should do this and he said okay he thought he'll give it a try he read a book called How to Be a Literary Agent. And, uh, and I explained to him, I was like, okay, so these people, it takes forever for them to respond to submissions. So I'm going to give you a first couple chapters of a book, and then you take it out. And then eventually when they respond and ask for the whole manuscript, you know, we'll be in a great situation. So I gave him the first three chapters of Leapike Ridge because my goal was to show these publishers who had read this enormously bloated mess of a rough draft of 100 cupboards, I wanted to show them something disciplined so that they would not worry that I could actually discipline a novel. And Lee Pike Ridge had grabbed me by the throat and I was writing it, you know, quickly. And it had all grabbed me just from the opening sentence and stuff had kind of carried on from there. So I had three chapters written and I was like, this is going to be a, a tight standalone novel that I can submit to people and they'll see I can write a tight standalone novel. They won't be totally horrified by this bloated mess I sent them in this rough draft. Aaron was newish, <laughs> brand new. <laughs> so he sends out the, the first three chapters to all these different publishers, especially the, you know, the 10 publishers who'd shown some kind of niceness about the mess of cupboards that I'd showed them. So he sent out the first three chapters and then heard back really quickly from people that uh, they wanted to see the whole manuscript. And which you, told did, me, which you didn't have. Which I, had, I, which I did not have, which I had not written. They got back right away. Oops. Well, and said, <laughs> and, and people were like, we'd love to see the whole thing. And Aaron told me, because he was out in Idaho, where he still lives, like, I'm going to be back east in two weeks. So I told them I would hand deliver the manuscript in two weeks when I'm out there. And I was like, I've not written. Yeah. <laughs> two, two, I don't remember. Two weeks, two and a half weeks. I think of it as... The entire first draft happened in three and a half weeks where I wrote the first three chapters in a week and a half and I wrote the rest of the novel in, in two weeks after Aaron made this big promise. <laughs> so Aaron promises to all these publishers that he'll have the manuscript for them. And it also turns out that one of the ways, I think this is the case, uh, he at least did this with some novels. I think he did this with the first three chapters that he sent them three chapters and he used shrink wrap. He put them in shrink wrap instead of a clip or anything like that. He just got out a, a hairdryer and he used the shrink wrap and he cinched them into this and sent it to them. And it was just a novelty, like in their stack of manuscripts, they're looking at, here's this shrink wrap thing. And people have an innate need to unwrap stuff, to open right. stuff. So I got read really fast and they all asked for the, uh, the total manuscript way ahead of schedule. So I wrote like the Dickens and I was really frustrated 
and excited, but frustrated that my whole point was to show them something disciplined and tight. And I was having to, do, to do it in two and a half And weeks. I had to do it in no time. So I was not done. Wait, how many words is that a day? I don't know. It was a lot, especially for me as a rookie author. It was a lot. That's, I think the whole novel, 70,000 words. So that's a lot of, so I was, yeah, a lot of thousand tonight. Yeah. I was humming. I was humming along and uh, still trying to figure stuff out because I hadn't planned it all yet. So anyway, Aaron went back East. He was staying with family outside of Philly and I was writing like mad. He was already out there. He had meetings scheduled like with the editor of the Harry Potter series. He's going in to talk to him (laughs) about this novel I haven't written yet. And uh, so I was sweating bullets and I pulled a lot of long hours and I emailed him the doc and he, you know, printed, (laughs) printed it off on his in-laws printer, this manuscript slowly, like kind of slowly printing all night. Something like that. And then he drove into New York, double parked outside of a copy shop, you know, a copy center, ran in there and made copies of this thing and then hand delivered copies to HarperCollins and Scholastic and Random House and just spent the day driving around New York, meeting with big wigs, slapping hot manuscripts, like literally still warm, very hot, literally warm (laughs) manuscripts that I fired off to him. And very, very shortly after that, we started receiving our first offers. So, and Random House made us a four book offer to compete with the other publishers. And I was most inclined at the time to Scholastic and the editor of Harry Potter, but he was, uh, you know, explaining why it was best to do one book at a time, you know, in the contract. Right. And I'm thinking, how do I pay my bills and support my family? And Random House came with a four book offer. Because Hmm. they remembered the big bloated mess of 100 Cupboards. So they said, hey, we'd love to buy this one and the 100 Cupboards series to be broken into a trilogy. Nice. And I was like, awesome. So that is basically the story of how I ended up not being a Christian author. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where the same book that Random House and Penguin and a lot of other people wanted to buy was something that every single mid-level Christian publisher had a shot at and said, no, thank you. It's not Christian enough. And then that right. book went is now in, you know, 24 languages and is a pretty significant bestseller. And, you know, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy with how it went, but it was not through any kind of sophistication on my part. It was just, I assumed I'm a Christian, I'm an author, I will write in the Christian space. And then it didn't work out. And I ended up successfully writing in Babylon. And now it's right. changed. The market's changed. It'd be much, much harder for me to break in now uh, as a quote unquote cis white male. But, um, you know, I, so I think the Christian industry is changing. It's expanding. Christian publishers are expanding. Obviously, we're involved in Cannonball Books and, right. and trying to publish soul food, you know? Right. Uh, I've started the Camper Down Writer's Kiln to, you know, help other aspiring authors hone their craft so that the world has more storytellers. Mm-hmm. You know, the world needs more soul food. So that means we need more cooks. Right. Uh, so we're trying to, we're trying to expand and the market is changing and expanding. The Christian market is different. You know, it's changing, ra- it's changing radically. Waterbrook Multnomah out of Colorado, you know, they published the Wing Feather series now. You know, they, they right. published the first one and then they let the rest go. And then Andrew self-published them and was really successful. So then they bought them back and, you know, they're, they're publishing christian fantasy but it's not it's just as christian as i am you know it's a different kind of a thing he's a christian he's trying to honor god with his fiction 
but it's not a gospel presentation. You know, the typology is there. The themes are there. Right. So instead of the question <laughs> of, is there an explicit gospel presentation or does it have so-called spiritual elements? The question should be about what it is in every other industry, right? About excellence. Right. Yeah. Does, does this honor God? You know, does this book honor God? And if, if you're a cook, imagine taking a plate of glorious food out to a table and having somebody say, but is this steak Christian? Is this a Christian steak? But that doesn't make any kind of sense. You know, it's not, no, it has not repented. It has not been baptized. <laughs> Does it honor God? Like, well, there's a lot of ways it could and a lot of ways it couldn't. You know, like, did this, did the whole process honor God? Did you honor God and how you were doing it? Did you have a thankful attitude? Did you do it as unto him, you know, as you're trying to feed people? But it's weird when we come into the arts, it's weird how we, we do that. We're basically saying, is this Christian curriculum? Is this Christian propaganda? As opposed to, is this a wholesome, edifying meal that honors God and will fuel and feed imaginations? Yeah. As members of the Protestant tradition, the priesthood of, I, priesthood of all believers, that right. idea that, that all of us can honor God where we are without having to be specifically Christian labeled or ministry right. in ministry, seems like something that we need to apply broadly. Yeah. Are, is this, are you a Christian plumber? Makes sense. Is that plumber a Christian? Yes or no? Right. Uh, he is or he isn't. Is this plumbing Christian? Does not. Is, it does not make sense. <laughs> oh, but yeah, you get a weird ideas of christening or. Yeah. Uh, but at, at the same time, it could honor God or it could dishonor God. It could have been done shoddily. It could have been, you know, hit bad work could have been hidden in the walls. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could have been done that would dishonor the creator or the character of the plumber could fail to honor God and how he's billing, how he's keeping track of his hours. There's so many things you could do that would dishonor, or you could be really honest and do a great job and do it under the Lord, no matter what you're doing. So anyway, it's odd to me. You know, I, I basically, I understand what Lecrae was getting after when he was saying, I'm not a Christian rapper. I'm a rapper who's a Christian. I think that he didn't necessarily have it all thought out, but he was, he was actually correct in what he was, you know, in what he was getting after. Because I don't think if you, if you asked him and said, so you're saying you don't want your song, songs to honor God? He'd be like, no, of course I do. Yeah, of course I want to honor God in what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm just trying to get out of this little market, I, this little hole you've put me in. Right. I bumped into uh, one of our local friends who refinishes floors Okay. Uh, at Moscow Building Supply. And he said he's been listening to the podcast, The Stories of Soul yeah. Food. And he said, everything applies to floors. <laughs> he said, that's how he thinks about floors is uh, that idea. Uh, I yeah. think the idea of creating something awesome yeah, and doing it right for people to walk on. I, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a weird little conversation, but totally makes sense with this episode now happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is it a Christian floor? <laughs> right. Christian guy honored God with the installation of this floor and it's beautiful yeah. as it's underfoot. And I grabbed this description from one of the big Christian awards. I won't say which one, but it says, do all the elements of the book contribute harmoniously to a total impact of excellence? And although that's kind of a bit of a word salad, mm -hmm. uh, I, I thought uh, excellence could be a word. It's, it's a word that's seemingly ignored. I, I, don't know, I don't know that that's actually part of the conversation as much yeah. when it comes to the I mean, book, I will say, as just market to, questions. To bounce to stretch people's brains a little bit. We also have to be willing to point out that some work honors God that has been made by people who are not Christians. So excellence honors God. Oh yeah. Um, beauty and craft 
honors God. People, there's basically, let me, let me just put it this way. There are a lot of donkeys out there. Uh, there are a lot of Balaam's asses who've actually spoken truth in their creation, you know, where they've tapped into something they don't comprehend. They themselves don't understand. They themselves don't live up to. And yet there it is. And other places it's, they, they might understand a little bit of it, but they, they miss a lot. And, and if you move into film, it's even more common because there's so many different personalities involved in the creation of a film that different themes can emerge and come out and be brought out in the editing that was not in the writing. And you can have a script that was God-hating get spun pretty effectively into a uh, more God-honoring place, which is really weird. You know, it's just, a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing that God does where he co-ops, he just steals work from people to put common grace in the world. There's a lot of artistic narrative creation that is helpful and wholesome out there that was not intended to be. Yeah, you know, so It was just intended to be popular or to get somebody credit, vanity, whatever, an award. And it turns out to be, you know, a powerful and moving meal. Yeah. So common grace would be an aspect of natural revelation, right? Yeah. The, God's goodness in the world. You, the world is the way he made it. Right. And, you know, as many people have said before, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Yeah. And so you'll, you'll see it shine. Yeah. You, know, you can see stuff shine through. Yeah. And sometimes in movies that are not watchable or books that aren't recommendable where it's like, wow, this, this particular section shines is phenomenal. Uh, I wrote an author once of a big successful literary uh, novel and told him I really enjoyed the specific themes of redemption and Ecclesiastes. And I said, I think the book is truly Solomonic, you know, in these particular themes. And he was very confused. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was not what and he was shooting for. I mean, he was complimented and grateful, but, you know, I had to explain it to him like kind of what he had done and he, it felt right. He was playing by ear and it felt right to him. And it was, uh, you know, it was beautiful. That's so, cool. and no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna recommend the book because there's a lot of other parts of the book that are not beautiful, but, right. uh, but it was, it was weird. It was a weird shining piece that came through. Oh, uh, and that, and you see that in a lot of things. I, I think of Slumdog Millionaire that way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a, a pretty potent story. Yeah. thematically that a ton of people were involved in who would have had no knowledge of that or desire to do it and yet <laughs> it came through uh and one of the reasons why it resonated so powerfully and was so popular and huge at the time was because of it because that truth was there so anyway christian books christian films uh unfortunately we have cheapened the faith by i think using the name of the faith as a market brand and that is unfortunate and it's become a market brand for what is non-offensive rather than what is Yeah, often true, what, is right? a, what is by Christians for Christians and is lowest common denominator vanilla. Yeah. You know, just sort of like the, the flavor that offends the fewest and is made by believers for believers and can be sold in stores for believers and under categories online and filters for believers and, okay. you know, yeah. is a little ghetto. Too is nice. Little, is it too nice? Is that what it is? Or is it, or is it just a I have, bit? I have a more like philosophical issue. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Christian fiction is too nice without talking about a specific book mm. or a specific author, because I think it's too broad a brush. I think the category is bad. Okay. You know, the category is bad. And imagine walking into it. If, if the world were such that there were bookstores, <laughs> imagine walking into a giant bookstore and seeing a section called God honoring and a section called God dishonoring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
That makes things pretty easy, honestly. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be nice? It'd be handy. But there would be a ton of Christian books in the God dishonoring shelves. The shack. Here's to you. The a shack. ton of them yeah. would be over there. And if you walked over to the God honoring section, you would find some surprises. Be like, wow, does this guy know he honored God? And <laughs> does he is he okay with that? Probably not. But uh, too bad. But too bad because God made him. His creator yeah. is fine with because what he, he was did. he was a musician working with harmonies, which are built into the world, and God made them. So right, he found them. He or pulled uh, them out. when when Solomon built the temple, Hiram, king of Tyre, is the one who made like you do the best cedars, the biggest cedar. <laughs> yeah. So Hiram ends up, yep, you know, being responsible for. He got the bid <laughs> for the temple of God. Yeah, which is funny. Yeah, it is. But anyway, it is. I, I object to the the market tag in its entirety. And I think we as consumers and we as parents should be thinking about how do we hand our kids stories that help them honor God. Yeah. Um, and that actually weirdly includes, like we talked about before, books that don't. You know, it's like they have to they have to build up an immune system. They have to actually be able to resist and identify problems. Yeah. So it's it doesn't mean your kids only read books that honor God. It means that you need to work to have your kids honor God and how and what they read. And sometimes they'll be reading books by Philistines, by Goliath, right. and they have to learn how to engage. Yeah. So don't ask, is, the, is my book list for my kids full of Christian books, but instead is my reading process with my kids Christian? Am I honoring God with my reading process, with my parenting process, with my yeah. engagement with my kids? Am I training them to honor God as readers, you know, and how they consume? Not do I have a brand loyalty way where I only consume one type of thing. Right. I will only consume stuff that affirms me and my perspective. Like, no, you have, to, you have to be able to resist. You have to yeah. learn resistance and engagement as well. Well, I think that's a great takeaway along with uh, no minor leagues first, shoot straight yeah. for the majors. Ta go for who will take you. I mean, that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> I, like, who, who can I play for? If I were getting into the industry right now, I would be, I would be emailing Cannon, Cannonball Books, honestly. You know, it's, uh, right. if I were trying to write right now, that's where I'd be going. I'd be existing in the Christian subculture which is different than a Christian marketplace. Right. Uh, and that's because the gatekeepers are more rigorous, shall we say? The, immuni the, immunities, the immunities of Babylon are, are a little more active these days than they once were. And uh, consumers have kind of like retrained, rehabituated based on the, the death of bookstores and other things to try to find good stuff, you know, wherever right. they can. And they don't give a rip whether New York has approved of it. Right. Why, why would they? New well, York has lost credibility. So you're speaking music to my ears. We yeah. could go, we could go on and on yeah. with the authors that we've talked about, about why it's better to publish with a smaller publisher, but that's probably a little and more. You signed another author today that made me happy. Yeah, we did. So these, another uh, MFA candidate from Camperdown is going to be publishing with Cannonball, which makes me very happy. Yeah. Her manuscript was great. I can't wait to start the editorial process on it. So anyway, it's uh, here's to you, Gwen. Uh, way Cheers. to go. Uh, the rest of you will be seeing a novel from Gwen Burrow pretty soon. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Winter King, I, I mean, when Christine was, you know, she's talked to agents, she's had New York agents, she's been in that world already, even though she wasn't published there, she was active in that world. And I think she, you know, she could still see success there, but which would be great. But at the same right. time, I was the one encouraging her, go to the places where they have the same agenda that you do to yeah. try to refine your fiction into a God honoring, right. soul feeding, you know, imagination boosting book yeah. as opposed to getting into a relationship with an editor who is opposed to you as a human fundamentally and to your agenda <laughs> and trying to, and trying to work with them. Yeah. Yep. So the anyway, yep. Cannonball Books, there's that plug. 
This episode has been sponsored by Cannonball Books. <laughs> doom, doom, doom. Perfect. Love it. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Stories or Soul Food podcast. Don't forget that if you're looking for kids' books on audio, the Canon app is the place to find them. Find stories like Christine Cohen's Winter King, Brave Ollie Possum by the Babylon Bee's own Ethan Nicole, and George McDonald's The Princess Series. Download and subscribe to the Canon app today.